I love going through life and experiencing it. And there's not much that I want to achieve. There's not much that I want to get, you know? Welcome, world, to another episode of Nobody's a Nobody podcast with me, Mike McVeigh. This is the podcast where I interview those people that I find absolutely fascinating. And whether you want to listen to them or not, I would like to share their story with you. This week, we are featuring Molly Brew, the teacher, and Jarvix's hot dog song of the week is Bandito by Changing Frequencies. Now, I've had several of you tell me over the past couple weeks that you're a little bit behind on keeping up with the episodes, and you know what? Take your time. Not every episode is for every person, but if you do hear an episode that you enjoy and you think someone else will benefit from it, please share it with others. This goal is to just have fun with this, learn more about people, and maybe find some opportunities for you that you didn't know of. Now, I have several organizations that I want to lift up today, uh, both for shout outs and just for basically great things. And part of it, there's going to be kind of an overriding theme here. People who have been important in my life who because they cared about me when others didn't always do so, uh, they set themselves apart. That's one reason why Molly is definitely on this interview today. But my friend Ryan Dobson, and those of you from PC North probably are more familiar with his wife, Sarah Crawford. He just put out a film that he wrote and directed called Hosea. It's, uh, you can either go to the website hoseafilm.com. It's available on Apple TV, Google Play, Amazon Prime Video, and Vudu. We just downloaded it Friday night. My wife and I, we watched it. It is rated R because there's some language and uh, situations. But it's a story from the perspective of people we don't always listen to. And it's very powerful. Uh, I was in tears a couple times. But then again, I'm a crybaby. But please check out the Hosea film. Uh, Ryan Dobson, great job. Our first shout out, our first, not shout out, but our first charity nonprofit organization that I want to mention is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's National Suicide Month, Prevention Month. I, I'm never good at saying that. But if you or someone you're aware of is having some trouble, feel free to call 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. It's free and confidential, and it's support for people in distress, and there's prevention and crisis resources for you or your loved ones. Uh, Jarvix was kind enough to share some of his experiences last episode, and I want to follow that up and say, yes, suicide is a very big deal. A lot of people struggle. And if you please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, at the very least, reach out to me and I'd be love to listen to your story. I'd love to listen about what's ailing you. It's much more important for me to be there for you now than um, coming to your funeral. Um, and that kind of goes on a little bit depressing note, but my other organization, one we've talked about several times, Our Neighborhood Empowered, which is 1OKC.org, they help children and teenagers learn how to read and learn how to write and do some basic skills so hopefully they won't be put into situations later in life where it is so depressing they have a coffee club that i my family is a part of that we support every month and that's at 1okc.org and slash giving and molly is involved with okc improv and in a couple of weeks lucy will be involved with okc improv and you can find out more about okc improv at okcimprov.com and they have virtual teen uh, improv classes, introductory classes, 
short form, long form, intermediate long form classes. If you're interested in participating in improv, it's a great way to do it. In fact, we're enrolling my daughter and her classes will start in a couple weeks and she's excited about it. We're excited about it. But OKC Improv, once they get back to live shows, it's going to be a blast. I've gone several times and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it. And I believe you will too. All right, this week's episode is Molly Brew. And like we do most times, we just jump right in. But before we do, I want you to understand, she was one of those people for me in high school that made getting through that much more bearable. So let's jump in with Molly Brew and talk all sorts of stuff. What a fun project for you. Yeah, it, it's been it's been beneficial for the most part. It's given me more stress to worry about, you know, a new deadline every week. and yeah. uh, But overall, it's been probably one of the most rewarding things I've ever done that cost me money. So kind of like daughter or marriage, but, you know, just not related to me. <laughs> I mean, essentially what it is is a hobby, and mm -hmm. if you're not spending money on a hobby, is it really a hobby? I mean, <laughs> I spend money on mine, you know, um, I, I, you know, performing with uh, OKC Improv, that I have to pay, you know, I pay for taking classes, and then I will also pay for um, entering into festivals and, uh, you know, the entry fee, and I will also pay for camp. Where you know we traveled to Wisconsin and for three days in the wilderness with a bunch of other nerds from around the country. Great. So you have to pay to compete against other improv troops. Well, it's not that we're competing. We, it's, it's, okay. For competition, it's all about performance and you know the love of the um, the love of the art. Okay, I guess I, I, that's what I'm curious. So. The, not the not the camp. I understand going to camp, you pay to uh, improve your skills, to have barbecues with uh, s'mores and whatnot, and oh, yeah. things that we don't talk about the next day because it's camp. You know what what happens at camp stays at camp. Basically, it's the original it's Vegas. What is said here stays here, but what is learned here leaves here. That. And what was the thing you said right before camp, though? You. Uh, festi festivals. Okay. So okay. So various theaters around the country will uh, put on festivals. Uh, the theater in Oklahoma City, OKC Improv, will put on fest. Uh, you know, puts on a festival every year. But you know, this year is slightly different because of COVID. But um, the uh, Dallas Comedy Fest, the Kansas City Improv Festival. Uh, there's uh, uh, the Bear. Uh, let's see, the uh, Big Little Comedy Fest and at the Bear Stage in San Antonio. That was my very first one. And um, I was in a troop of five members, and we all agreed, yeah, we're going to go to it. We're going we're gonna to drive down. And the day that we were supposed to drive down, everybody conveniently either forgot, backed out, or thought San Antonio was near Dallas. Well, it's not. <laughs> it's definitely not. And so... The one that thought that he was, uh, the, the gentleman that thought that uh, San Antonio was near Dallas, thought that he could work that day and then just drive down after he got off work. And my uh, fellow troop member and I, we're, we're in the car on I-35 in Norman, you know, thinking, should we you know, pick him up? So let's call him. So we called him. Oh, um, I'll, I'll, see, I'll see you guys down there. You know it starts tonight, right? And we were leaving. I mean, it was 9 a.m. Right. <laughs> and 
so that was <laughs> the 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 disappointment in Mike's voice. Uh, yeah, I, I I thought it was only three hour drive. No, sir. No, sir. It is not. No, you said his name was Mike. Yeah, that was what, Mike. Was this is this out of your current troop? Or okay. uh, this this was this was my first group, Murder Bear. Okay. Uh, when uh, this was back when the theater was still uh, performing at the Paramount Theater. Right. I think that's where I I think I saw you when you were in Murder Bear. Yeah. Yeah, you did. And uh, currently, I have uh, two troops that I'm a member of, um, the Cherald of OKC, and which I believe you've seen. And right. Fem- uh, I'm sorry. Fem- say, the, say the second one again. Fem Squad. Fem Squad. Yeah. As much males as you? No, Fem Squad is uh, four women. There's four of us, so the quad. We're troops, so the squad, and we're females, so the fem. Fem that Squad. That makes sense. Yeah. And that it consists of women from pretty much each decade of adulthood, uh, 20s. When it started, I was 30, so it was 30. That was the 30s. There was 40s, and uh, we have somebody who's in her 60s. And we are a combination of improv and sketch. Um, sketch is informed by improv. You know, a lot of what you see in sketch comedy uh, on television, it has a foundation in improv. You know, people riff, riff, riffing off on something, finding something a bit that's funny, and then further developing uh, by writing and fleshing it out. Right. And uh, so, we, it's 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 a our performances with Fem Squad. I believe it's a four act. We we have our introduction, uh, our where we get the suggestion from the audience, for which that will inform our interpretive dance, and from our interpretive dance, then we go into a La Ronde, which is a structure. There are several structures in improv: La Ronde, Herald. Um, I'm forgetting several, but then of course the games as well. And with the Laurent, it's two person scenes. One person will leave, this a third person will come on and will continue with the uh, that person who remained in the scene, uh, who stays in character. And then the second person leaves, uh, fourth person comes on with the third person. And it just, you know, roundabouts until the last uh, person uh, comes back for the final scene with the first person to have left. And from that, then we go into the, um, what's it called? The, uh, oh, excuse me, uh, we go into the kind of like a, what might be considered a fireside chat, but we call it, you know, that reminds me of, and we just, you know, talk about what that reminds us of, what ultimately becomes the social problem that needs to be fixed. And we, each have roles that we then divide amongst ourselves, uh, villain, henchman, and the sidekick, and uh, or love interest or best friend. And from the audience, then we get a volunteer to come up to be the superhero who will fix the society's problem, the societal problem. So do you generally have a certain type of person that you're looking for for the superhero, or is it literally random? somebody who's willing to take that leap to get on stage because a lot of a lot of people are afraid to get in front of strangers and 
there, there, there's that fear of failure. But that's the thing about improv is that you fail. We want you to, we want to fail because from failure can so much beauty, can so much joy. And when we have that failure, we can then build on that. We don't want our superhero to fail. We, we, we don't let our superhero fail. Uh, we, we make people look good in improv. And that's what we do with our superhero. Um, and so we fix that um, the superhero doesn't have to say anything. Um, sometimes they do, and it's always great. And eventually the superhero will fix the problem through the help of the sidekick and the best friend, uh, the hero, the, the henchman and the villain, you know, might die in some grand gesture or will be transformed and become reformed. Who knows? One never knows what's going to happen. But after that, then we have the news report and that's what finishes us off. Uh, talking about what we learned as a result of what happens when a, a problem can be solved. Right. I'm always the weather girl. You're always the weather girl. Yeah, we have. Uh, I we have. Uh, I'm the weather girl. Who is sports? Um, Christy is usually always the. A reporter on the scene and Kirby is the uh, the anchor desk and she always we always end it uh, with the in that order this isn't fem squad this is the uh, it's squad. oh it is squad. Mm -hmm. what's the name of the dude that has the bald head in your other one uh, oh the Cherald yeah Cherald yeah the Cherald um that would be Danny Danny just seems like the kind of guy that can always take a joke. Uh, he might not be, but he comes across that way. Oh, Danny has got a great sense of humor and is very, um, hmm, whatever, whatever it is, he can take it and just roll with the punch. Um, it, you can make a joke about his baldness. He doesn't care. Um, you can make a joke about how much hair he has. He's like, yeah, it's great. Um, he can make a joke about how conservative he is. And he's like, I own that. <laughs> and it's, it's fine. And we, and we let, and we appreciate him. That's not to take away from anybody else in your, in not at troops all. Thing. I, I just, I, you the, remember him. the one that Blair and I went to go see you mm -hmm. last fall, I think yep. the, one of the skits or one of the games games it turned into where you guys did a chain gang being in prison and <laughs> he kept on saying the wrong word and like you and one of the other people in the troop were like oh it was just it was brilliant i i very much enjoy and um okay improv is fun but how did you get into improv that doesn't seem like just something that your improv you probably had to work at it and you had to have a desire to want to do it or someone forced you into it uh, okay, so I am a fan of the Oklahoma Gazette, you know, that free newspaper that comes out every week. And there was a ad saying that there was a free improv jam. I believe it was. And I contacted my sister Kirby, who I'm in Fem Squad with, and said, we should go. We should go to this. 
because she had she was a theater kid. Uh, she did she did a, for longer in high school and in college than I did. Um, so she agreed, and I ended up getting there late. You know, thinking, oh gosh, I really don't want to do this. I've got so much other stuff going on because I'm a teacher. And uh, at the time, my husband at the time said, no, go ahead and go. Just, you know, you, you get to spend time with your sister. Go ahead and go. So I showed up. The jam had already started. People were in this fairly large circle on the stage at the Paramount Theater. And I walk up and they're like, hey, come on up. And they were playing games and it was a name game. One of the first, uh, one of the first games that we teach our level one students uh, where you say your name and do a motion and then everybody repeats your name and does the motion too. And it just goes around the circle. So you learn people's names, which is um, one of the, uh, it just, it, it's a game that is used, I believe in pretty much every um, large group when they first meet as an icebreaker. It's one, it's one of them. Um, and I believe it was based off of the games that were created by Viola Spolin um, when she was working at the Hull House, I think it's the Hull House, or the Jane Addams House in Chicago, working with immigrants and uh, immigrant children to teach them English. And so after that, you decided to just jump in full force and spend seven days a week there. It was not seven days a week, but it you know it's it's you know once a week or you can take you can take it you can take however many classes you want, but you generally go through the levels, and it was addicting that joy, and that's what I had been missing out on as an adult. Yes, I love my child she's a great source of joy but that is from an ex that's an external source that's not internal it wasn't something of my own and so that's when i said kirby you should take classes and she was like yeah i'll, I'll take them and i didn't i didn't take the class with her why not it was it was a really stupid reason uh, i didn't think it was for me but after her student show i was called up as a audience volunteer for one of her games uh, columns in which you have two volunteers who will um, supply one word for uh, to fill in the, it's like you know fill in the blank mad libs um, so, for example, um, you, the improviser would provide a leading statement such as, I really want to go to the store and buy a red, and you, you, touch, the, you, you touch the volunteer on their shoulder, and they would say something like, pencil. <laughs> and then the scene you know, goes on for that, and uh, throughout, this, uh, throughout the game, the volunteers keep uh, coming back with that i'm sure you've seen that you've seen that one right yes i've seen i've seen that game i've seen most of your game or between your troop and a couple other troops i've seen i think most of the games i don't know how many there are so i think i've seen about uh, six or seven okay uh, well then I've, I've not even a percentage point yet right um and 
the games that you see on whose line is it anyways there's so much more there's so much more uh, and every theater teaches a combination of those and some theaters don't teach those you know some some games are left out because it's not part of the curriculum but um yeah that's and there's various levels of improv right i mean because mm -hmm. level one's the basic like you're just starting mm -hmm. how, how high up does it go well, we have five levels of actual uh, course. Then we have electives. We have uh, musical improv, we have uh, and then intermediate. And sometimes if there's enough interest, then we'll have advanced musical improv where people will make up songs on the spot. Uh, we have advanced short form, which is taught by the wonderful Sloan Ryman, who is a lecture, uh, uh, adjunct lecturer at UCO. And she has been in the Oklahoma theater scene for 30, 40 years. I, I might be 35. I don't is know. She the, the, is she the one that used to go up on the platform and say, hey, if you guys want to join improv? Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. Still yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, she, and she is in a film squad with me. So. Uh, oh, that's great. That's a good, she's, she's very talented. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there will be other, based off of who can teach um, and their expertise, sometimes there will be a uh, stand-up. Uh, stand there, that has happened in the past. I know, right? And that, that's not often, but when it's available, then it is offered. And when we have guest uh, performers from out of town who have, uh, such as TJ Mannix, and uh, let's see, Craig Euler and um, oh goodness, um, we, we, we have them and they will come and teach workshops and anybody, not just OKCI students, but anybody can take workshops um, with our guest lecturers. And are the prices to take classes for OKC Improv, are they the same price as it is for the, the uh, workshops or are they, are, how much does that cost about usually? Oh. Uh, let's see, workshops usually range anywhere from 20, depending uh, to 60, maybe. Might be, it, it really depends on who it is. Um, classes start at, with early bird pricing at 125 for eight weeks. And I believe after early bird pricing goes up to 140. Musical, I think is a little bit more expensive because we have two instructors. Uh, Kendon and Kyle. Kendon and, uh, Kendon and Kyle are a dynamic duo. They have performed in New York City. Is that Sasquatch? Are those two of the people from Sasquatch? I, honestly, I can't remember if they're in Sasquatch, but they are in Bitsing. Yes, they're, they're in Sasquatch, yeah. I still unfortunately remember one of their bits, which... Oh, you know, no, I, I loved it. It was, it was, it was great. Um, they would, they will be happy to hear that because that's one of the things that we absolutely love as, as performers, as improvisers is that, oh my gosh, somebody actually remembers something that we did because when we leave the stage, we're like, what did we just do? <laughs> How long is a typical set? I mean, I know they can vary, but a typical set for a troupe on an improv night or festival. For performance, um, at our theater here in Oklahoma City, most troops get anywhere from 20 to 25 minutes. And 
some troops will get longer because uh, they may that may be their their guest troop uh, like uh, take one productions uh, which was a group of individuals who took classes together and uh, formed a troop take one and now they're they've uh, developed that into a production company um, and so when we when they get come in, they, they get the entire show, I believe, um, uh, at least 30 minutes. Um, and uh, if it's a bit sing night, they get, they get a full hour, uh, 30 minutes, then a, uh, a intermission, and then another you know, second half. And how much preparation per show would you say troops usually, how many hours of working together, not, not personal, time but just like as a troop how many hours do you guys normally do before you get to do a show well with fem squad we i was brought in about um two to two or three months after it's in the idea was formed and then it was another two or three months after i joined before we felt ready to bring a good product to the stage and we had a coach, Topher Owen, who is a phenomenal performer and actor. He was uh, faculty, at, I believe he was faculty at Second City. And he has a theater here in Oklahoma City called The Space. And uh, they, they focus on sketch, but they also will, I believe, also teach improv as well. All right. So now do you teach any of the improv classes or are you just a wonderful performer who brings in tens upon thousands of millions of people? Yes, I do perform, but I am the one of the level one teacher uh, instructors and this past term I taught level two for the first time. And I have also taught the teen class. We offer a teen class for um, ages 13 to 17. Uh, so we, we, you know, depending on the student, we could take them at the age of 12. Um, you, know, you know, just we need to meet the child, you know, see if they're able because they can, it just really depends. Um, and then we offer the teen class once a year. So let's see, I, I started off with the um, TA program, then moved into the mentor mentee program in order to become an actual, uh, you know, full-fledged instructor. And I, that took me about a year. And I guess I've never asked this, how long have you been in improv? How long have you been in improv? I have been with OKCI since, oh, I believe 2016. So come up in November, it will be four years. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Four years uh, performance. And now, oh, go ahead, sorry. Um, no, I, I was just, I, I, it reminded me of the, the, after, at the end of every student show or at the, or um, at the end of, or the last class, a whole class picture gets taken. And the one that was for my level one class ended up being published in the Gazette. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I know, right? Um, yeah. You know, there's a bunch of great, uh, great that um, some did continue to take level two. Um, some didn't. They uh, were they were using 
improv. Uh, this, uh, one of them was an actor who was who used improv in order to help her with auditions. Uh, one used it to help him. Uh, he actually did continue with level two, but didn't go on further after that. But he used it to help with his public speaking. Um, and he's he's an author as well. Um, and uh, others, you know, people do it for various different reasons, I guess. Um, mine was, hey, I needed to have something that provided some joy and uh, others do it for more concrete purposes. Right. I would have probably had the pandemic not happened. I was going, I was more certain that I was going to enter then this past summer. Maybe I'll have to wait till next summer to get in because just timing with everything else. But I am eventually going to someday possibly, hopefully be in the improv. And maybe I'll get the pleasure of being taught by you. Oh, that would be amazing. Um, we, for, we for me, yes. For you. Eh. <laughs> oh, of course it would be. It would be wonderful to teach you. I mean, we've been students together. Now we could be a teacher and student together. Uh, we, uh, we do, we did oh, over the summer, we did have to postpone one term, uh, the March term, or the, the you know, the, to because of COVID. And it got postponed and because so while we could figure out how we were going to teach and we ended up teaching via Zoom, Zoom Pro. And that, that was that was an interesting experience. Um, it was that and that was my first class as a solo instructor. And so it was just kind of making it up as I go along. We've got the structures. I, here's here's the curriculum. This is what I need to teach you. Here's how I visualize it, and go. And they did so well. well they, it, they probably, it probably helps because you, as you mentioned earlier, you're a teacher. That's your full-time job as of now. Maybe that'll change when you become the next great improv troupe and take over some day of the week or night of the week, and you can even go live. I don't know. But, so tell me a little bit about your teaching. Is that what you went to college for? Uh, yeah. Uh, I changed my major my junior year <laughs> when uh, I went home to visit my grandparents and the whole family was there and everybody's asking me, so what are you going to, well, what are you going to do when you graduate? You know, what do you, you know, because at the time I was a film and video studies major. Mm -hmm. And at the time in Oklahoma, there really wasn't a film industry, not the way that there is now. It's, it's not huge, like say Hollywood or, you know, studios that fil uh, filter into um, television studios in New York or even say Atlanta, but it, it's burgeoning now. And it's, um, oh, there's a lot of, a lot of productivity. But at that time, that was 1999, and uh, I'm like, how, 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 how do I do? So I had this, you know, little almost it wasn't a nervous breakdown, but I freaked out. <laughs> and these and my family had never seen me freak out before, so it was all of like, oh, let's let's fix Molly's problems, let's take care of her, and. Uh, my stepmother at the time came up with this way of uh, this interest matrix 
listed several different things that could be done and had me rate them on a scale of one to 10. And, um, uh, you know, there was, teaching was one of them. Uh, my mother is a teacher. Um, she retired. My grandfather taught, um, as did my grandmother. So it's, it, it was one of those, oh, no, I don't want to do that because that's what the family does. You know, I don't want to go into the family business. There was kind of that idea that was in the back of my head. Uh, another was journalism and broadcasting. And there are times when I think in 2020 in hindsight that I should, should I have gone with broadcast journalism? It, when I was a, the summer after we graduated high school, so 97, I went to a camp. I love camps apparently, but it was for broadcasting. And uh, at, down in Lawton at Cameron University. It was a week long. Right. Uh, and I, it was, uh, the, it occurred, it, it was during the week of my 18th birthday, and I'm like, ooh, I'm celebrating my birthday all alone, and I feel very grown up. <laughs> my God, I was such a dork. But it was the first time I ever won an award for something that wasn't participation. I won first place in two different categories. Go on. Yeah. Uh, on uh, on-air personality, naturally. <laughs> and, oh gosh, I can't remember what the other one was for, but I, I think it might have been for writing, maybe. Uh, I, I since, let's see, used to still have, the, used to have the trophies. I think I may have thrown them away in a fit of, well, I haven't won anything since, so what's the point of keeping awards? <laughs> so, um, or maybe they're in a box in an attic somewhere. Who knows? Get to go look for those at some point. Well, that's what life's about, is looking through the attic at some point later in your life, like, oh, yeah. Out of that matrix comes the scoring teaching was scored high, journalism scored high. And so when I went to my advisor at OU, based off of the credits, I would graduate sooner if I went into education. I had a lot of history classes uh, on my transcripts because in film, you take a lot of history classes for you know, history of film, uh, American history, world history, um, Asian history, in order to really learn about the cultures of, and history of various people, which is, which is helpful, I think, in film to have that background knowledge. Whether or not people use that background knowledge, that remains to be seen. But because of all the history credits, it was recommended that I go into social studies, even though uh, and and uh, social studies or English because there were I had taken a lot of writing classes, you know, writing for film. And when I looked at the requirements for English teachers, language arts teachers in Oklahoma, compared it to history teachers, I'm like, I'm going into history classes. I'm gonna I'm gonna teach history. 
I like history. I don't want to teach people to write papers. Well, guess what I do now, Mike? I'm teaching people to write. <laughs> because now that's what, that's what we do. The education requirements have changed. The expectations are different. And that's okay. Times change. I'm a, I'm a great editor, but man, I'm a, I, sometimes I feel like I'm a horrible writing teacher. Like, seriously, can't, I don't know. <laughs> so you currently teach English and literature? Is that correct? No, no, no I, I teach history. I teach uh, AP, European history, because I uh, and um, unlevel U.S. history. So I teach mainly sophomores and juniors. I do have... I do have some juniors in the AP class and a senior. Um, that that class AP is it it fulfills the world history requirement for Putnam City District, which is the district I teach for. It's and and it's the district that I, you and I both graduated from. So I get to I get to talk about events and people and things that I really am into because of that, because I made that choice to be a history teacher rather than a writing teacher. So now I teach about the Renaissance and the Vendetta rather than Romeo and Juliet. Which might be a little bit less tragic in a more tragic way or more tragic in a less tragic way? I guess it just depends on the perspective you look at it. This is true. How has, for those who don't know or who don't have boots on the ground, how has teaching been this year? Have you had any in-class studies yet or is everything still virtually in uh, Putnam City? Just kind of, what's your experience? Well, Putnam City is um, virtual distance learning for the first nine weeks. And I wish I could have more information for you, but um, what I know is what the public knows at this time. There is, I believe, uh, we were told that we would be, I think it would be reviewed at mid nine weeks uh, to see, you know, how, how's the plan going, et cetera, you know, what's working. Um, but as far as it changing mid nine weeks, no, I, I don't think that that's, nothing, nothing about that was ever conveyed. Um, if it, or if it was, I missed that email. <laughs> um, we got a lot of emails now. Um, emails are the way to communicate to, in this, uh, current climate. Um, my child is in a different district and they are, that district is, uh, I think it's called a hybrid model where you have students who are in, on, you know, they're in the brick and mortar um two days a week then they so they and then they move from brick to click um the other uh, two other days a week and on the middle day everybody is virtual is brick to click actually what they call it or is that just something you came up with oh I, i've seen that i'm oh man I, i'm so not original no no i've uh, not heard that so that just <laughs> yeah um it it it's it, it's something I think that is is being said in many education uh, online communities as well as you know, in, you know virtual and physical. Um, 
you know, the readiness to go from brick to click should the need arise due to the number of cases in that uh, particular community. Um, and now we're kind of waiting for click to brick, at least in, at least in my district. And nothing, because at the time I wasn't a classroom teacher. Um, I was working for a nonprofit uh, teaching um, students, uh, middle school students in the Oklahoma City Metro, teaching them sex ed uh, curriculum. And I had, I had left my previous position to uh, move into the nonprofit sector um, because the opportunity arose that allowed for uh, greater autonomy and uh, you know, ma you know, making a, a huge impact not just on current students in the classroom, but potential of future students. You know, the and um, that was that was an amazing experience. But it was a federal grant that funded my position. And originally, um, if I recall correctly, uh, I, I had been told uh, the the nonprofit had been told Teen Empower. Uh, Teen Empower Inc. They had been told that the uh, position would be funded through September 1st, and that's all well and great, awesome. So I was, you know, I was guaranteed through September 1st, but then through uh, a restructuring and a elimination of funding to the program that my uh, position was paid for by, that was changed to. Uh, March 1st. So in February, I ended my, I, I resigned and went to, uh, went to Putnam City as a substitute teacher and started in March. So I was a substitute for a whole two weeks. And then there's, you know, the um, Friday the 13th, we'd been kind of listening to what was on the news and everybody's asking, well, do you think we're coming back? Do you think we're coming back? And, and I was like, oh, probably not. We'll probably be out in you know, two weeks, maybe, you know. And, you know be, that, that's going to be sufficient because, and I'm not saying that from any position of authority or whatnot. It was, it was conversational. Um, so, my, so my last day in the, in the building was Friday the 13th, which was so fun. And I remember thinking, Right, when I come back from spring break, I'm gonna have a bunch of really great uh, jobs lined up. Because uh, you know, people had been asking me, oh, can you sub for me this time? Can you sub for me then? And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll do whatever. And then it didn't happen. So that's what I call the great pause. Uh, my life went on pause and I had, I had to get a job, so I got a job selling insurance. I'm not a salesperson. Really, I would think that you're a natural salesperson. Um, I have a, I, I enjoy speaking with people, but I don't believe in many of the sales tactics that are commonly used in order to get sales that sense of oh you need this you have to have it because if you don't your, your life is going to be crap I, I, that wasn't me uh, it, it wasn't for me I, and and the and it wasn't in person 
it was virtual via Zoom. And so that was difficult um, because people, uh, people had, they, they didn't understand the technology or things didn't work for them. And many of them, uh, the, uh, many, many, not all, but many were elderly. So trying to get, uh, you know, trying to get the information to the client in a way that was um, informative and not overwhelming. Not, that was not the best, it was not the best time. Um, but it kind of prepared me for teaching <laughs> distance learning. <laughs> You know, disseminate. You know, trying to disseminate as much information. You know, in a in a manner that is easily accessible for all. That that has been a big challenge. That uh, my experience from this summer has helped. At North, but you were the mascot our senior year. Mm -hmm. And I just thought I always think that's really cool about you. I know uh, that's. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually really proud of doing that because that that was one of the few times I have actually set a goal for something and, and worked towards achieving that goal. I'm not I'm not a goal oriented person. I, t I really like to just kind thank of, you. I really like thank you. I, I love going through life and experiencing it. And there's not much that I want to achieve. There's not much that I want to get. You know. Um, it, I'm, I'm, I was taught and I still believe that, you know, what will be, will be, you know, that, that things happen for a reason and I'm okay. I'm okay. Not being a highly ambitious individual. That doesn't mean that I don't want to accomplish things. I've got books I want to read and I've got places I want to go and I know how to accomplish those individual goals. Um, but I don't, that, that was something that I wanted and I didn't let defeat stop me. Every year is this optimism that I'm, this is the year I'm going to get it. This is the year I'm going to do it. And of course, no, was never elected you know, for it. You know, obviously, as a freshman, the freshman never going to get elected to mascot. Of course not. Sophomore year, okay, maybe. Um, junior year, well, I got more votes last year, so maybe I'll get more votes this year. And I did. And then finally, senior year, I'll be honest, Matt, I, got, I think I got it by default. Um, the other individual that was, um, the other individual that was running for it that decided that he was going to try out, uh, I don't think, uh, I think he may not have met the qualifications. Um, if I were, I think, I think that's what happened. Um, because there was no tryout. It would just kind of, if you remember, just kind of happened that we're just going to announce this, you know, at the end of the day. And your mascot for uh, the 96-97 school year is Molly Lamson. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I got it! Woo! And I don't have to try out? Fantastic! 
to be honest, I didn't know that you had tried out before. I thought that you, I guess in my my limited knowledge of how the mascot. So tell me, there, apparently there was tryouts. I, I thought it was, I honestly yeah. thought it was default because only one person always tried out every year. So apparently that was wrong. I don't know. There was, um, let's see, our freshman year, um, you know, all, all throughout high school, there were the uh, student council elections and there would be in the interstitials between that, there would be tryouts for mascot. Uh, somebody, you know, each can mascot candidate would go out at a certain time and uh, perform to a, uh, the school song. And they, uh, the first, uh, our freshman and senior year, uh, freshman year, it was Stephen. Oh goodness! Uh, but he he also uh, so he was a junior that year when we were when we were sophomores, I believe, and then he ran and got it for his senior year. The second year, or the third year, or, mm, there was a gentleman, and he was he was fantastic. I don't Matt, remember Matt. Matt Thompson, maybe. No, it wasn't Thompson. It was like Matt Noel, Matt something. But he yeah. was he was phenomenal. Yeah, he was great. He was great. He he actually um, he did he did something that I was going to do. Uh, I asked I asked T C Hardesty if I could jump off the stage. T C told me no. Matt didn't ask, and Matt just did it. Yeah. And that's why and that. And that that asking for forgiveness than permission that's when that's when i learned that <laughs> <laughs> and uh then senior year uh it was just two people were, were interested and i and i got it and it was it was great i got to work with um, an amazing teacher sue wiley she was the cheer sponsor and so mascot fit in with cheer sponsor and she she was so gracious um, and did everything she could to include me um, and that and i'm definitely grateful for that because um, you know being an includer is a big deal um, when you come into a team situation and you're not you're an unknown variable it uh, can be difficult to navigate that and she was, she was, that she had a very good talent for including people. Yeah. yeah, she, amazing teacher, multiple times over. I had her at both Hefner and then later at North, so. Yeah. Yeah. And I get and, to teach with her daughter. Yeah, Sarah. Yeah. And That's awesome. Wonderful. We're in the same fall and it's like circle of life, you know, it's, everything comes around and nothing is new, but everything is remade right yeah very cool now in between this is just stories from afar that have no necessary connection though they can always be there sure. so at the by the time we graduated in 97 mm -hmm. i don't remember the exact year though i'm pretty sure it would have been 2000 because i had flunked out of college my first attempt and apparently if you don't go to class and don't take don't turn in assignments or take the test they oh, don't okay. give you an a um it was by choice. It was actually by choice, which is a whole other story. Uh, and it was before we met up again for, I guess, the twenty-year reunion a few years ago. But uh, I was working at Harry Bears and more. And yeah. usually after after we uh, finished working, we'd always go to the IHOP at I two forty. 
and you were there studying. I guess that would have been probably been late junior year or early senior year for you at the time. Probably early senior year because that would have been the fall of 2000. If that was, yeah, that was fall of 2000. And IHOP was the place to go. It was clean, well-lit surfaces and an endless supply of coffee with flavored cream that Denny's didn't have flavored creamer. And Denny's didn't have, wasn't new. IHOP in Norman was new. And so many people uh, didn't go there. Nowadays, there's no way you get a table. IHOP is no longer new. It's always it's always kind of cool whenever you see people you don't expect at places you don't expect. And that was, I'm so glad you remember that. Uh, that's amazing. You've got you do have an excellent memory. Uh, mine is really pretty fuzzy at times, and I barely remember that. I, but I do, yeah, I do remember that uh, you were there. And what what a fun thing to be reminded of. Now, at the time of this recording and actually i think for my proposed slate of guests you're going to be the one that's known me the longest that's not family that being interviewed and i, I wanted you to be one like the one of the first ones from high school and and whatnot but um so one thing and I, i've said this to a couple other people that have been on here but you've actually i've actually known you for over 25 years Oh my gosh. Makes a different kind of weird oldness that applies in there. But one thing I've always loved about you, and that's one reason why I wanted to interview, it's one reason why I you know, initially started supporting OKC Improv, was because you were always cool with me. And uh, you didn't treat me the way a lot of people uh, treated me. Not just me, but I mean, you treated everybody well. It wasn't like, oh, well, that's Mike. I'm going to treat him good because he's the messed up one. Uh, you either assumed everybody was messed up or you just assumed that people weren't and just were a genuinely nice person. And uh, that's always something that has been really cool about you. And I see that even on Facebook and stuff, just the way you pull people out and connect with them and stuff. It's really cool. And that's one reason why I um, try to keep track with you as much as possible. Um, that is really the probably the nicest compliment I think I could have received at this time. Um, because so many times we have that voice in our head that tells us, you know, I'm not good. I'm, I, I could be better. I could do more. And I'm, I'm definitely no, not exempt from that. I, I have that, in what I think is called the imposter syndrome. And am I really, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I, uh, am I even qualified to be doing what I'm doing? And if I'm feeling this way, am I the only one that feels this way? And when people reach out to me, I know how I know how much of a warm blanket of of kindness that feels to be seen. And so trying to do that for others, that's you know i'm I'm not successful at it all the time. Um, i have I have moments of you know you know bitterness and rage and anger that get in 
the way of me being able to be kind to others, but the fact that you remember me as a kind person. Thank you. Well, I, you're very welcome and you are awesome and amazing. And you, um, you've always been, as far as I've known you, maybe you're a complete certain type of person among other people <laughs> and I'm sure they deserve it. <laughs> I could be fake. <laughs> Uh, the time that we connected the most was actually our last semester at PC North. We were Mr. Gibson's history class because for some reason they made us go back and do the exact same class we took our freshman year, Oklahoma history, with a little bit of a government type tinge to it, which still doesn't make sense to me why we were the only class to have to take that twice. It may be because there was a new change, a change that occurred in the curriculum requirements for graduation. Sure. That, that could be the only reason that I can think of. But Gibson was amazing, and uh, he and Mark Landreth and Thomas, Gib uh, Thomas Keller were so influential in, I think, really my decision to become a history teacher because they were phenomenal in their craft um and having you you sat in the desk behind me right and i remember always being turned around talking to you because i just you know um when i was younger i talked i talked a lot i might still talk a lot I, sometimes i feel like i don't talk a lot <laughs> you know i have a screen that i put a lot of my attention on so when people are around me they're talking and i'm like just not paying attention <laughs> Sometimes we need screens like that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, we yeah. had right to our right, I think to, in our row, one row over to the right was Preston Moon. Yeah. And I can't remember, or maybe, maybe he was across from me, and then Monique was either yeah. behind him or in front of him. I can't remember the dynamic on that. He was over there, yep. And um, I know we had a lot of interesting conversations, especially on our way to moving on to college and getting out of high mm -hmm. school and putting the world, the world is our oyster kind of mentality. <laughs> it really was. And, uh, God, I remember having the worst senioritis. Well, it may not have been the worst, but I had senioritis. I remember skipping a couple of times and um, I also remember coming back late <laughs> and having to check in with the attendance office and I was so mad I had to check in at the attendance office because my the, the the door was just there and it was unlocked earlier but they locked it right then and uh yelling at Ms. Martha <laughs> you have to talk about that a little bit oh Ms. Martha Christensen Lord love her she still is a secretary at PC North and I love her and I think she loves me because we always we always chat and she always smiles when she sees me so that's kind of my indication but when i was a senior um i don't think she loved me that day <laughs> so i go into the attendance office i don't remember exactly what i said but i'm sure ms martha would be able to recount that verbatim because she's excellent but it was something along the effect of you need to take my tardy off and <laughs> not <laughs> I, I need to be counted not tardy because I was on school grounds before <laughs> the, the tardy bell. I was present. 
<laughs> oh. And Miss Martha, in her cool manner, just looked at me. She's like, "No, I don't think so." <laughs> and um, I must have said some voice words. I stormed out. And when I got home, I was in so much trouble, and rightly so, because how is that? You just cannot do that to Miss Martha. You cannot be disrespectful to an adult who's there to help you. Um, and my mom did the, did the right thing. She made me, uh, she made me write in that letter of apology and then, you know, walk it in and tell her in person. And, uh, I think I was, I mean, I was in trouble at home for a long time too. <laughs> and, um, I, that, that was it. That was, that, that was the worst of it really. Um except for when I actually didn't go to school, you know, we skipped out. It was, it was springtime, you know, did you, didn't you skip out? You didn't. No, I'm, I was going to ask you, I was going to wait till after the recording's over because, you know, some students might get a hold of this and hear all these horrible stories about you. Were you, were you a troublemaker when we were in high school? I really don't. I was so out of no. the loop. I don't even know who was no. what. I don't think I was a troublemaker, I think, but, but I was an angry person a lot of times. Uh, and so, um, I, I, I think I yelled at people a lot. <laughs> um, you know, there's just, you know, wouldn't take, I think sometimes I just wouldn't take things and accept them the way that they were presented to me. And in some ways that worked for my benefit and in others it didn't the sucker breaker lockdown questions all right so this first one is from my friend amy what's been the most influential book in your life i have two of them okay ishmael by daniel quinn and the four agreements by don miguel ruiz the first one is about uh, an individual who is looking for answers and finds them after he answers an ad, say, uh, you know, student wanted. Um, he shows up and there's nobody in the room except for a gorilla. And it is this interesting journey. And I came across this book in a cultural studies class, uh, cultural. Um, it wasn't exactly cultural sensitivity, but it was about the the ultimate result of this class was an expansion of cultural awareness. Um, and it was designed for educators, for people who were going to become teachers. And that was assigned to us by Neil Hauser. I was a professor at OU. And that book I give away. That's the book I give people uh, or I'll, I'll loan it and I hopefully will get it back I think I've given it I've loaned it to some individual some people before in the past and never haven't gotten it back which is like great okay I hope you've read it though uh, I'll go get another copy and um, of course the four agreements by uh, Don Ruiz uh, the, the be impeccable with your word and to Never make assumptions to always do your best. And oh God, um, what's the other one? Um, the fourth one. 
I can't remember. <laughs> so well, three out of four agreements is still pretty good. <laughs> three out of the four ain't bad. All right. From my friend Amanda, if you were to leave this life tomorrow, what's the one thing you would like people to know, have known about you? Hmm. Um, that I had fun while I was here and that I had fun with them and that my life was made better because of them. All right. From our friend Rashad, it's kind of cool if I like you to say our friend. I know. If you were a tree, what kind of pizza would you eat? Mm. Purple. That is probably the second best answer that could ever be given. Not that there's a right or wrong, but if there was, that, that would be the second oh, best. Well, then I should have gone with my gut, uh, my gut answer, which was sparkly. That's tied for purple. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I normally don't say anything to that question on it, but purple is a very good answer, and sparkly purple or sparkly and or purple is equally yeah. valid. Yeah. All right. From my friend Mandy, how have you learned to get along so well with people who think and believe so differently than you? I don't think I get along well with individuals who think and believe differently from me because I wonder if I'm actually around people who truly are different than me. I think there's more that connects us that is, that is in, in similarities than there is that is what makes us different. Um, at the end of the day, we all are desperate for connection and to be seen and to love and to be loved. All right, the last question goes a little bit different direction okay. from our friend Adrian. And are you familiar with who Harry Carey is of the Chicago Cubs? Okay. So yeah. in the spirit of Harry Carey, if you were a donut, would you eat yourself? <laughs> so please ask that one more time. I've got to hear it again in that way. In the spirit of Harry Carey, mm -hmm. if you were a donut, would you eat yourself? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, yeah, because I'd be a cronut with bacon. And maple glaze. Very good. Hot dog. Hot dog. Hot dog. Hot dog. Hey listeners, it's Jarvix again with my hot dog song of the week. This episode I'm featuring a song from an album called Freak Work. And since this is a podcast, I need to literally spell that out for you. That's freak work, as in F-R-E-Q-W-O-R-K. Freak is short for frequency, and the name freak work has a cool triple meaning. Frequency is, on one hand, an aspect of any music or audio, but on another hand, a term that describes the energy of one's inner self. And thirdly, the album also gets its name in part from its creator, a hip-hop artist who goes by Changing Frequencies. Freakwork released last year, and I featured it in a guest article I wrote for local live music curator's OK Sessions. The article was called Five Local Albums You Slept On in 2019, 
and one of those albums I featured was Freak Work. Here's a portion of what I wrote in my review. Freak Work champions intellect, justice, and balance across 11 hot new tracks that stimulate both the body and the mind. Refreshingly, the LP flexes a variety of modern styles that makes the listening experience an adventure, which is appropriate given how much inner and outer space there is to explore here. Whether she's spitting spiritual wisdom, blasting systems of oppression, or expressing her sapiosexuality, changing frequencies is deeply in tune with the topics she addresses. The scope and maturity of her lyrics are leagues beyond many of her contemporaries, who can be more enamored with showing off and turning up than listening in. Today, I'm sharing the first track from that album, an outright sizzler called Bandito. It features excellent production work from Worm, a long-standing producer and fellow rapper in the scene. Changing Frequencies steals the show, though, with confident lyrics that are simultaneously dagger-sharp and positively inspirational. A rare combo, indeed. Proceeds from sales of this album go towards a new educational community outreach program she is developing with her husband. You can get it now at changingfrequencies.bandcamp.com. Though, as I discussed in my mini-sode last week, it's even better if you wait until Friday, October the 2nd. Now, without further ado, here it is. Bandito by Changing Frequencies. Now what we gonna do? <laughs> 
goodness. Thank you, Changing Frequencies. Thank you, Jarvis, for sharing that. And you can find Changing Frequencies at changingfrequencies.bandcamp.com or on Instagram at changing underscore frequencies. Thank you so much, Molly, for being willing to interview with me. And thank you, the listener. You don't realize how much joy it brings me whenever someone tells me they've listened to an episode, uh, or even better, when they tell me they like the episode. (laughs) Feel free to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever podcast player that you choose to listen to. But ultimately, know that you're important. Know that you're not a nobody. Or that actually kind of makes it difficult. Nobody is a nobody, and that includes you. Until next time.